most technology roadmaps are actually are really scary. I'm like, to be completely candid, they are. Like, they're big, massive changes. You need to know where you're going, but it's, it's more important to have gotten started with like a tangible problem, like a small problem that you can fix. Welcome to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast, where we explore the strategies and experiences that are driving mid-sized manufacturers forward. Here, you'll discover new insights from passionate manufacturing leaders who have compelling stories to share about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from B2B sales and marketing experts about how to apply actionable business development strategies inside your business. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. I'm Joe Sullivan, your host and a co-founder of the industrial marketing agency, Gorilla 76 As my guest today will remind us, not a lot of good came out of this pandemic of 2020 and 2021. But one positive is this. We've broken down a number of technology barriers out of sheer necessity that have in turn opened up the doors to all kinds of new ways to communicate and to collaborate. Today, we'll be talking more specifically about how this acceleration of digital transformation has made collaboration among engineering teams in the manufacturing sector more accessible than ever. So let me introduce my guest. Adam Keating is a mechanical engineer who co-founded CoLab out of sheer frustration when he saw how engineers were being held back by inadequate tools for working together. Adam's background includes leading development of one of the world's first Hyperloop vehicles, taking home second place internationally at SpaceX's 2017 competition, inventing an electric propulsion system for large-scale aircraft, designing systems for biology-guided radiotherapy, and managing elements of multi-billion dollar energy projects, just to name a few highlights. As CoLab's CEO, Adam now leads a growing team of 40-plus people who are setting the new standard for engineering collaboration. Since 2017, Adam has spent countless hours talking to engineers, manufacturers, and industry leaders about the barriers to effective collaboration. Those conversations guide CoLab's software development and have allowed them to shorten customers' design review cycles by more than 51%. With the launch of CoLab 3.0 in March of 2021, Adam and his team are well-positioned to help even more teams around the world who want to build the future faster. Adam, welcome to the show. Hey, Joe. Thanks for having me. Well, Adam, the first thing I have to do here is ask you about how you got involved in Hyperloop and also if I could get Elon Musk's cell number. Yeah. So the cell, cell number, I don't know if you're going to get that part. I've, uh, I've heard even on the emails that he rotates emails. And I mean, you know, there's only so many combinations you can guess. You must have something pretty good to be keeping that inbox clear. But Hi- Hyperloop for me was actually a starting point and basically this entire journey. Collab would not exist had I not done Hyperloop. And Hyperloop only happened because a friend of mine I went through mechanical engineering school with really got fixated on kind of what was happening in Silicon Valley. Um, but one, but it was a hardware guy. Like really wanted to get involved. And you know, at this point, his dream was to get to Apple. And we saw this thing come out about Elon Musk talking about Hyperloop. At this point, it was a sketch. It was just like a napkin. There was no like if you Googled Hyperloop, you got this one picture. Elon Musk had sketched out um, in his white paper. Anyways, that was 2015. He convinced me to join this team. At that point, I was like really focused on energy, like never really thought about creating new technology. Like I had thought about it, but never really seriously considered it. And uh, anyways, 
fast forward two and a half years later, and I was leading that team. I think I was probably doing it more than anything else. I basically eat, breathe, and sleep Hyperloop. And uh, we took together a group of people from Newfoundland and the East Coast of Canada, um, and then a group of universities in the US, and actually competed in SpaceX's Hyperloop competition, which I could tell you the whole story. We probably need uh, three or four podcasts to kind of go through. But long story short, we actually ended up coming second globally, building this ridiculous vehicle. Like it, our, our prototype, we were really resource constrained. We didn't have the same budgets as other teams. So in the second competition, we actually had a 20-foot-long, 2,000-pound vehicle that floated on an air cushion go 100 kilometers an hour in this tube. That was our first time ever. Like on national TV, the last day of the competition, we had somehow made the top three, which was we didn't expect to ever get, kind of get there. We knew we could do it, but we didn't expect it to happen. And we're on national TV trying to get this like, you know, this was the first high-speed, you know, greater than 100-kilometer-hour move for an air-bearing Hyperloop pod ever, anywhere professionally or amateur wise. And all I can say is I was really happy when it stopped when the vehicle didn't crash into the back of the tube when we got to the end and it worked. And, you know, for me, what Hyperloop really is, is it was sort of a vehicle in a metaphorical sense as well. Um, and it kind of showed me what was possible in terms of building new technology. And that team I was on, there was about 40 of us. There's seven or eight companies that started from that team. Most of the rest have gone on and worked at like super cool places, whether it's SpaceX or Tesla or, you know, building their own thing. And, and I think it just really encouraged like this new school of thinking. That's actually a collab started. Collab started because we were frustrated with the tools we had while doing that, both as students and as working in internships. And yeah, I don't think my life, my life would be completely different had I not uh, accepted my friend's request to join that team back in 2015. Although I gave him a hard time at the time about it. What an experience. I mean, congratulations on on what you were able to do there and, and what you were able to take from it. I, c- I can't imagine being a, a part of something like that. It must have felt surreal. It was. There's many parts of it that were surreal. And like, just to give you an example, once you get into this stuff, everything is connected. We show up to LA. We're trying to compete in this competition. We had a really shoestring budget. Like At, at this point, when we were manufacturing, I'm talking that perspective, we couldn't even afford to pay other people to manufacture for us. So we would take aluminum out of recycling like whatever was left over from someone else's projects and like mill our own parts and like turn our own parts. And we were doing that kind of stuff. And we show up to LA and the vehicle we had was really big um, compared to the other teams because we didn't have the money to restart. And we got the vehicle stuck in a storage locker. We couldn't get it out because the trailer got stuck with the walls, like the vehicle or the trailer was 10 feet wide. Storage locker was 10 feet wide. It was stuck. So this, this guy from Boeing saw us stuck there and brought down a can of WT-40, reached the walls, let us out, helped us out, and then gave us his covered driveway for three days. We didn't know the guy. And that's like one of the 10,000 things that happened on this journey. But yeah, whole different perspective on manufacturing and building stuff after going through that. That's really cool. Well, it's, it sounds like it was a launch pad for you, obviously, to into what you are doing now, which is running this company, Colab. So could you tell us just a little bit about what Colab's all about, how it came to be? Yeah. So, so Colab for us initially, was it was the, the, st- the stance we wanted to take to say, you know, we needed better technology for engineering teams and, and all their partners, whether that's a supplier, a manufacturer, or just someone who helped doing co-design. And we felt that firsthand just trying to build things as students, but then saw it in industry at, you know, most innovative startups all the way through to Fortune 500 and realized that software teams were literally 20 years ahead when it comes to technology and agility compared to teams in the manufacturing world. And arguably, the manufacturing world, you're physically building something. So making mistakes there is very, very costly. And going back is very, very hard. And that's 
where Jeremy and I, um, our co-founder said, you know, we need to build something that helps teams work better together, but in a way that, you know, takes them to the next chapter of what engineering is going to be. So today, Colab provides the, the fastest and easiest way to share and review 2D, 3D CAD with anybody. It doesn't matter if it's your company or supplier or manufacturer, you break down that barrier for teams to sort of adopt that technology. And where, where we're going long-term is helping teams move towards more of a practical version of agile for hardware manufacturing, and then also introducing the the value of what, you know, a model-based enterprise actually looks like for these teams. And, you know, if you really boil it back, we're trying to help teams work together with all the data they're spending all this time creating uh, and make better products faster. That's really what we're trying to do here today. Well, good for you guys for recognizing a, a problem that you experienced in your own world and figuring out how to act on it and, and create a product around it. Adam, you I heard you comment a second ago here that you know you said industry's 20 years behind the software world in terms of, I guess, utilizing cloud technology and collaborative productivity tools. Talk a little bit more about that for me and how's that going to start changing? Yeah, it's really interesting. And I'll talk a little bit about how COVID had a large impact on, I think, the trajectory of that change. What, what we saw was the problems we described, no matter what type of product you built in the mechanical world or the manufacturing world, everybody had the same flavor. Communication was poor, things slipped through to the manufacturing floor and then became costly changes, like things were doing delayed. And, and you look at what, and it almost always comes back to the communication layer. Something slipped through the cracks, requirement wasn't met, but that was never recorded. Something's lost in a note. Like there's always some part of the system that's falling apart. And then you look at your our counterparts and software developers have a whole bunch of other problems. Don't get me wrong. Like they're, they've got so much going so quickly that there's other challenges there now. Trying to find the ticket that they're working on or trying to find the history of how decision was made, that was never something they struggled with alongside of us. And they're moving really fast. Like we're talking about true agile, not a waterfall-based approach. And that wasn't the problem. And that's, that's when we started like really looking at what tools we had. And if you look at the engineering world, like in design, you're thinking about like a CAD tool, a PLM, like they're, they're sort of your bread and butter when you've got other analysis tools and maybe specialized engineering tools. But, you know, really that's what you have in the creation side. If you think about everything else, how people communicate, primarily email. And if you talk about how they communicate externally, like to a manufacturer from a design firm or company, almost exclusively email. How is something tracked? Almost exclusively some kind of like homemade Excel tool. How is like DFM, for example, how is DFM communicated between a company and a manufacturer? Most times it's a PowerPoint deck with screenshots of a model. That model costs you like millions of dollars to make. And then you spend weeks or months going back and forth over markups in a PowerPoint deck on changes that are probably going to cost a lot of money in the future. And that's where we started saying like, this just doesn't happen in the software world. And there's good reasons why it has it is the way it is today in hardware. And, and you mentioned a couple of good examples like cloud adoption, being a barrier is, is a huge limitation that I think COVID has changed. A year and a half ago, we would talk to companies and they were all hesitant to move to the cloud. Very, very few were saying, you know, we're cloud first. What we're seeing now is that a lot want to move cloud first and even more are in the kind of like, you know, the center bucket are cloud accepting. And that's a huge change. Like we went from having conversations with, you know, Fortune 500 defense contractors who would say like, no way in hell, are we ever going to the cloud to talking to one right now who is telling us they're only going to do it if it's in the cloud, because that's the way they're moving. Right. And the power of that for the manufacturer on the other end is if you can catch that wave, the cost of the way you do your business and the way you can do your business with your customers becomes much tighter. You can be much closer to 
customers. And I'm wearing a azometry sweater here today, just got it in the mail. And that's kind of what they're thinking about, right? Is, you know, how do you create that amazing experience, not just for your team, but for all the people that you're working with? And they're doing some really cool stuff and bringing, you know, clients and their partners together. And, and that's really what it's all about. And I think COVID now has kind of broke down that barrier, giving people a taste of Microsoft Teams, for example, was like what this could be like to actually work more closely. And I think the next five or 10 years, you're going to see a massive adoption of tools that, you know, in the last two decades, we hadn't seen. Yeah, I think the last year just forced so many companies to take steps that, you know, they probably knew were coming at some point, but they didn't have a choice. They, they were somewhere on the digitization strategy or a roadmap. And then one day someone said, oh, wow, we're all stuck from home. What do we do tomorrow? And they just accelerated all the approvals. But that, that really was... That was one positive thing that came out of the pandemic. There's not a whole lot of others, but that is one positive. That a lot of things that were, you know, years and years behind are now there, which which sets a new precedence, I think, which is going to change the way relationships build between these companies, I think, in the future. Adam, you mentioned a couple of your own customers in an email to me. I think it was JCI and Genoa Design were, were the ones I think you referenced. Um, whether them or, or others, I'd be interested in hearing you sort of touch on you know, how have companies like these that have acted on actually making the right technology decisions been able to you know, kind of move their businesses forward or what's been the impact? Yeah, and I think it's it's a it's a broad conversation that you're seeing sort of across all technology now. And with our particular customer base, it could be something as simple as the decision Genoa made. So back in March of 2020, we were planning to work with Genoa coming coming May. That was like the plan. We then get the order that everything is work from home, you know, lockdown in Newfoundland, Labrador, and I get a phone call saying, "Hey, we need to be able to do this sooner." And we we agree we're going to do it the next morning. Because they wanted to be able to, you know, they had to go through tens of thousands of drawings over the course of the next year. And they didn't want to be having their team with the print out all that kind of stuff at home or send it around in PDFs. And like communication for them then became their competitive advantage on a very tight project deadline. We ended up rolling the solution out. They started doing every single drawing review that they were doing for an entire ship through the platform. And I think we're about 14 months later. We just ran math last week and they've done almost 31,000 drawing reviews through Colab and saved almost 8,000 hours. That 8,000 hours they've saved has made the difference in them being, you know, not even just being like standard quo, status quo with what they did in the office, but actually being better than they were when they were in the office while being completely remote in a whole new world. And, that, and that's the type of thing that we're seeing now is that teams who are willing to take that jump and willing to take that risk. They're the ones that are having this competitive advantage going forward for, you know, you know, the, on the other end, whoever's going to have that ship building contract to award, you know, budgets have gotten tighter. Uh, so people need to be more competitive when bidding. And it's the same thing for a manufacturer. If you can make it easier for the manufacturer to actually work with the engineer and there's less of that friction, you know, people are a little less sensitive to the price might be a little bit more on the manufacturer side because they're getting a better service. And I think I told you when we were chatting before that I'm in the process of, of building a house. And when I went through that process, the very first thing I considered was who will be the easiest for me to work with. That was actually my number one consideration. And, you know, I almost missed out on the best quality because that was my top consideration. It, it took getting a couple of quotes that I wasn't happy with to actually go to another builder and look, keep looking and keep looking. But, you know, in most cases, that quote had come back when I looked for the first or second time. I would never even got down the line to the ones that weren't quite technology ready because I just wanted something easy. Um, and that's, that's, I think, coming out of COVID, 
a lot of people are going to expect just to be able to get on, turn on a Zoom call, send something, have it there immediately. That's what's going to change. And, you know, you mentioned John's controls as well. I think they've done some really innovative stuff when it comes to how they do their products. Like they came to us with a challenge that they used to do these like walkthroughs of their products in the factory to do value added. You know, how do you actually like reduce the cost of this product, make this product better? And their VAV events were in person. And they were trying to do that during COVID with no flight um, capability or thinking about, you know, maybe we stream the event or whatever it might be. And we just turned that into a virtual event in 3D in our app. And they actually saw twice as many people participate. It obviously cost a lot less because they didn't fly people anywhere. And they actually had twice as many ideas come out of the, out of the whole event in like three hours versus, you know, what would have taken, you know, several days plus travel time. And that's become something now that all their teams are doing inside of these groups and something that I think a lot of the industry is going to want to do. And that was like not even something we had thought about as a solution. Um, they actually came to us like as a customer we were using for other purposes in design review. And they just used the same tool to have a completely different use case. And, you know, I, I think there's more and more in the manufacturing world where people are getting clever now and saying, you know, we want purpose-built tools. Like we don't want to be sending screenshots around. We don't want to be flying people for the sake of flying people. And uh, the ones the ones who kind of craft something for their business and kind of get that competitive advantage in terms of their angle, it's going to have an outsized impact three to five years from now. So this is this is sort of the window. This is like the window to kind of get ahead, I think. Yeah, well well said. I mean, it seems like there are hard cost advantages. There are, there are also peace of mind things, like, you know, the ease of working with someone like you touched on. It just seems like sometimes there's this barrier, this hurdle, like this intimidation with new technology. But once you can get through that, there's so many benefits to be realized. Yeah. One of the pieces of advice that we give people too is like, you know, technology and, and most technology roadmaps are actually are really scary. I'm like to be completely candid, they are like they're big, massive changes. You need to know where you're going, but it's, it's more important to have gotten started with like a tangible problem, like a small problem that you can fix. Because that's the that's the difference here with us versus you know a lot of things that you might see in market. We're not trying to do, you know, change everything at once and fix everything at once. We're trying to influence behaviors that people are accepting of technology, so that when you know a new feature comes out or a new solution comes out or new product integrates with what we do or you know not even related to us at all, people are not as nervous to do it. Um, like we just rolled out a piece of software internally to help with one-on-ones and performance management and goal setting and communication. And that tool started rolling out two days ago. We took a step on day one and said, we're just going to do one-on-ones. People liked it so much on day one that they literally went and grabbed the next piece and said, okay, now we're going to start doing reviews. Now we're setting goals. This is three days. Three days we've had this progression. But the reason it worked is because we said, okay, we're just starting with one piece out of like 50 things it can do. So people were accepting to making that step. Whereas if we tried to do the whole platform on day one, you know, it's sort of terrifying. I think manufacturing is you know, exponentially worse than that. Because you look at digital twinning and you know model-based enterprises and all this kind of stuff, like that is hard. Like anyone who says they're a true model-based enterprise today, there's no there's no org in the world who is truly fully model-based enterprise. There is not. There's some companies leading the charge, but no one's fully. That would mean you have no drawings on paper, nothing printed out, really. You know, everything is in one system or at least connected together. And we're getting there, but you know, taking baby steps is really important for that progression. Adam, I'm going to read something that you wrote to me in a recent email as we prepared for this conversation, and I'd like to hear you comment on it. So you said, typical digitalization strategies 
often run counter to true continuous improvement. In our constant conversations with engineers and manufacturing teams, we've found that the most successful companies are the ones who begin with their people and apply a true problem-solving mindset to define what needs to change. Can you talk about that a little bit and tell us kind of what you're getting at there? Yeah, I think it's a really important one too, because if you look at most engineering teams or manufacturers, they all have continuous improvement departments or someone in charge of that. And it's something very tangible, but you know, oftentimes when we talk about the digitization strategy, we talk a lot about the big picture and not about what the actual problems are for the end user. And, and that disconnect creates lack of buy-in. And if you're not bought in, this thing's not happening. And if it doesn't feel practical, this thing is not happening. So, you know, there's really two ways to look at it. Oftentimes you see tool, process, people, and that's like a typical digitization strategy. You know, we want to be here. We're going to use these tools to do it, put these processes in place and the people use it this way. But that's really counter to what it needs to be. And, and something that like, you know, we I, I was bad at this in the beginning with Colab. Like I would always talk about tools and tech and features and whatever. None of that actually really matters, right? Like there's lots of great examples of people buying book bags and, you know, how do you go about that? It's not about the features, right? It's about what the person's looking for. So if you flip that around and start with people, you know, what is the actual problem they have? What processes need to be met? What tools can help them? As long as you know where that goal is, you, you will make better progress going that direction and you'll have buy-in. And that's something that I think that applies everywhere. It's not even just technology adoption. It could be setting a goal. It could be creating a new line of business. It could be create a new product. If you just say, go build this thing and there's no clarity about, you know, how that relates to the problem you're having, very hard to tie those two things together. And that's why things are met with resistance. It's why the cloud, like people, when you say, we're just going to do the cloud, that doesn't make sense, right? Like, unless someone's like, hey, I can't work with manufacturer X because we're sharing files like this. And like, oh, okay, well, the process is going to be, we need to do X tool we need is a cloud-based solution that does why. And that's like, okay, well, that's why we need the solution. It's not about going to the cloud. It's about fixing something that's tangible. And for, you know, manufacturer, it might just be like, so they don't have to pull their hair out talking about what changes people are requesting or getting discrepancies from a 3D model, from a bomb, from a drawing. Like there's, there's a million things that are there and it's about starting at the problem. If you start there, make a baby step, like anything, the next one will come. Right. And that's and that's what you're looking for, I think, in true that's what true digital transformation is. Because otherwise you're gonna pay literally tens of millions of dollars for some of the bigger companies, probably hundreds, to implement these massive strategies that take five to ten years. And then what happens when COVID comes around? There's a real problem. How long did it take? Less than a month. And every company did it because there was a real problem. And that's all they talked about. There was no digitization strategy. But think about it now, that's gonna go back. Two, their digitization strategy of people being more bought in digital tools, people accepting not printing stuff out and using it in the actual software. And like, if they started there and so we're going to start Microsoft Teams because it gets people comfortable, that's going to change everything. And if you look at the way, you know, generations coming out of university and high school are, are now, they don't know a world where they weren't connected on social media, text message and all the rest from day one. Like they do not know a world. Like I coach kids who are like three and four and five years old with cell phones. And like, I'm thinking back when I was a kid, I, I, had, I got a cell phone when I was like 16 or 17. And like, that wasn't that long ago, but it's changed. And that's going to become more and more and more. And, and the companies who can get ahead of that now are going to be the ones that have advantage. Because I know if we told our team today at Colab, we were going to go back and communicate over email and no Slack, like you can't talk to each other. I, I think a lot of them would leave pretty much immediately. And it's the same thing. And yeah. Baby steps is uh, the biggest recommendation I'd have for you. Well said. I agree 100% with your mindset on this. Adam, is there anything I did not ask you today that you'd like to touch on? 
No, I, I think the the last thing I kind of leave people with and thinking about, you know, their strategy, it's, it's first about just like literally going back to what I just said a moment ago and thinking about what's important to your business and what are the problems. And like any anyone and one of our, our leaders here, Jack, she, she really changed my mindset on this and just in the questioning mindset. And we actually do this with customers and say, you know, we're not going to tell you what we do because that doesn't matter right now. Because if you don't have a problem that we can help with, we're wasting your time. But do the same thing for yourself. Like literally ask yourselves the hard questions. Of, you know where where are these pain points if you're trying to like win more business as a manufacturer or you know build products for less more less money for an engineering company like figure out their goal what that is so you know where you're going and then figure out the problems are and just start there and then figure out what technology actually fits and i think you'll start to see the gears turn a little bit faster i want you to do that well adam great conversation can you tell our audience how they can get in touch with you and where they can learn more about collab yeah, no, and I appreciate it, Joe. And to get in touch with me, you can find me on LinkedIn, just Adam Keating there, or on Twitter. I think it's Adam Keating NL. Um, and to find out more about Collab, you can check us out at uh, collabsoftware.com. But yeah, I'd love to have a conversation. Even if you just want to have pick my brain on uh, how to go about figuring out what problem tackle first, this is pretty much what I do all day long, whether it's for our team or for other teams. So happy to do it. But uh, Joe, I want to say thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It was my pleasure. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to do this. Cool. Thanks, Joe. And as for the rest of you, I hope to catch you on the next episode of The Manufacturing Executive. You've been listening to The Manufacturing Executive Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to learn more about industrial marketing and sales strategy, you'll find an ever-expanding collection of articles, videos, guides, and tools specifically for B2B manufacturers at gorilla76.com learn. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.